directly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Talk to the day. There are no answers, only death. Hello, Drew Barons, and welcome to episode 59 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you're joining our show for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium, using the Warhammer 40k systems created by Fantasy Flight Games. Each episode we cover a different uh, game system, and today we'll be covering Black Crusade. But before we get into that, let's quickly talk about what we've been up to in the last fortnight, and especially as far as gaming goes. Yep. And I can happily say that all our gaming stories from this fortnight are 40k gaming stories. Yes. Yeah, we, we did. Uh, we, we finally got our Dark Heresy Roll20 game going again. Yeah, why, why don't you tell people what happened to uh, the previous Dark Heresy Roll20 Roll game, which you forgot to put up? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's it. So there's some good news and then some bad news. So around the same time I upload this show... I'm going to be putting up uh, the good news. I actually discovered that there, I'd forgotten to put up the second half of the last session we ran, uh, which was actually back in July. So there's a whole half an episode there that's still to go up, where you'll actually now discover the the joke behind why we keep referring to hipsters during the show as well. Uh, however, there's also the bad news is we put up. Well, I'll be putting up uh, the episode from the other night, where due to a number of technical issues, we probably got about. 40 to 50 minutes of gameplay actually done. Yeah. So I think we had a, a 7.30 scheduled start time and then one player, because of daylight savings issues in Australia where not all states have the same time, uh, we had some... Yeah, one of our players has trouble reading a clock <laughs> and another one has trouble activating computers. <laughs> okay, that'll sum it up nicely, yes, yes. So I've, I've edited out all the technical issues and it's been edited down to a very short episode of gaming. Oh, so dear. there's two, two, two episodes up between the two of them there's a bit to listen to, you know, but if you the most recent one, not so much. Yeah. Uh, so not our finest hour, i got to say. No, 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 that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get another one in pretty soon, soon I that's think. It, yeah. yeah. Uh, and also, just last night, we played our own Black Crusade game. Yes. Uh, which is, could be the penultimate, or maybe the, the next, the, the pen penultimate session, maybe. Is there a... Semi-final? Yeah, semi. Last night was a quarter, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think there's probably, probably two sessions to go. Although, as the GM pointed out, if we actually want to run through the Black Crusade system, that might be another session or so just to sort of do that. But that's almost like playing a board game by the time you get to that stage, yeah, isn't it, really? Is a yeah, bit, yeah. That's it. So, um, thoughts on last night's game? I think it went pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, it was a, a shorter game because we were playing, normally we play on a Friday night and we're happy to play through until the early hours in the morning, but this was a school night, so we had to finish a bit earlier. But yeah. uh, we still got some, some good playing. And I think it ended on a, a decent cliffhanger as well. Yeah. So yeah, I'm keen to find out how it's going to how it's going to resolve. So I've got my my, my, my character has it's about 100 113 infamy and 85 corruption. So very close it's to. It's time to stop burning down the orphanages. Yeah. That's it. Well, that's the other thing I was thinking of because we're sort of at the point now where we're we're coming to the end of the plot, and there was a concern that maybe the person that had originally recruited our character was going to betray us. So, but they needed all four of us because we'd all been empowered by these special four rituals and the four characters were required to sort of open a special gate and my sort of contingency was my character picked up a melter bomb and planned to blow themselves up if the person tried to uh, betray us on the basis that well 
I've got enough infamy to come back, you know. Um, I, hopefully, I'll roll low and stay above 100 infamy while still gaining the plus D10 corruption. Yeah. Failing corruption, which I'm not doing any, any more mutations anytime soon. Uh, and at the same time, you know, deny them their ability to use all four characters to open the gate. Now, that might have resulted in them killing the other three characters or at least imprisoning them, but, you know, could have worked out well. Yeah. But in the end, we didn't need to. We, we trusted the person until we sort of entered the portal and entering the portal and the, the things we throw immediately after it with a cliffhanger. So yeah. we'll find out how it resolves shortly. All right, so enough talking about our gaming. Let's talk about what we're doing in this episode. We'll do our regular news section. Then we're going to be talking about the legacy weapon system. Mike, one of your favourites, I believe. Um, I like the legacy weapon system, but I don't think it's particularly balanced. Oh. We can talk more about, talk about that. In, the, in this segment, yes. Uh, then we're going to talk about the Chem Hunter of Messia, uh, doing our plot hooks and war gear section. Then we'll do a review of Broken Chains, one that I can't believe I haven't reviewed yet, but apparently we haven't. Yep. And then we'll be talking about the nature of corn before we close out the show. Okay. So let's get straight into it, shall we? Yep. Command acknowledge accessing Imperial Archives. Not a very exciting fortnight as far as news goes. I mean, on the FFG side, all I really have to comment on the fact is that I saw that uh, Enemies Beyond is showing as shipping yep. as of January 14th. So we should be receiving it soon. Yeah, in Australia probably two or three weeks I'd say. And yep. Probably stores in the US any day now as such. We're, we're recording on the 21st so basically it started shipping a week ago. Yeah. Uh, but other than that it's all Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars on, on the Fantasy Flight Games front which is what a shock, we yeah. enjoy Star Wars it's fine. That's yeah, fine. Um all quiet from the Games Workshop side as well. Even chasing Games Workshop rumours, I think, really came yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, the, the start of the year is always a quiet time because quite a few of them are on holiday. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was some more release stuff about the fact that uh, Adeptus Titanicus will be one of the first games to be released by Specialist Games because the guy in charge of Specialist Games absolutely loves the game. And it will be it, essentially it's the original precursor to Epic, yeah. but it will be going back more to its roots of Titans versus Titans rather than bringing troops and tanks okay. into it. Because uh, I noticed also that they've released some more of the Star Collecting boxes as well, yep. including a Star Collecting Corn Demons and a Star Collecting Nurgle Demons. Yeah. So I was if, if they'd also done Zinch Demons but no Slanesh Demons, maybe that would be a clue to. What's happening with Celeste, but I'll, I'll we'll wait and see what happens if they actually bring those ones out. For, yeah, yeah. Although those boxes could probably go each way. They could be dual fantasy slash uh, 40k boxes as well. Yeah. Uh, on Eternal Crusade, so I guess the big announcement is they've said they're going to be going to Steam Early Access. So this has caused, I don't know, a bit of confusion because they've already been having a sort of Early Access to close beta with the founders. Yep. and of course Steam Early Access is not technically a release you know effectively it's a way for a company to bring more money in while developing a game still and exposing people to it early and so you know the question was were you fully funded before and the answer was yes so what are you going to do with the Steam money it's like well more money equals more stuff for the game but you know we're still going to do what we always promised to but now we can get stuff out sooner they're still playing the actual official release this year Yep. Yeah, so I guess watch Steam for release stuff. They sort of commented about how they'll be handling... Because Steam obviously has game forums as well. They've already got their own forums and their own website. Uh, we also saw the return of the Twitch streams. So I guess the two things I'll point out from that are that... Uh, first off, they've added a new loadout screen. So from the gameplay that I've seen, slash may or not have been involved in, uh, you pretty much select a, a class and the class dictates your exact loadout. 
but they've added a new screen now where you can basically customize the standard loadouts of each class. Yep. So effectively, every single weapon and accessory has a points value, so your loader has to basically fit within a certain number of points. So if you want a more powerful weapon, you might have to forgo you know, some of the accessory items you have as well, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, plus, they gave us a first look at the Power Fist. So the Power Fist seems to be incredibly powerful against other characters, but incredibly slow, i.e. incredibly easy to dodge as well. So it's got a whole sort of a wind-up, you know, it's almost like what's a haymaker sort of gives the wrong impression, but the character's got a very big sort of wind-up and strike. But I did notice it can do pretty hefty damage to vehicles as well. So, yeah, well, for all, so. all my complaints about being having my laser cannon turned away by the vehicle's hull, maybe I was doing the wrong thing. I should run out and punching it with a power fist, maybe. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. It's the best way to take out a ta- tank to punch it. Yeah. <laughs> as we've covered on this show earlier as well. Yes. Uh, but that's really it for the news side, I guess. Uh, so we'll just sort of keep watching things and tracking the various rumor sites to get more information in the future, but uh, otherwise we'll just wait and see. Absolutely. So let's get on to uh, our part of the show. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. All right, let's start talking about Black Crusade and in particular the legacy weapon system. Yeah. So this was presented as an option in the Tome of Blood. Yes. I guess as, a, as an alternate option to Dean Weapons to an extent, we will talk about in a bit how Dean Weapons and yeah. Legacy Weapons can This was obviously a system they wanted to put in the original book, because the original book mentions Legacy Weapons in a couple of places. Yeah. Um, but I guess it must have been taken out because of On, on the cutting room floor, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, Mike, you're start off, what actually is a Legacy Weapon? A uh, Legacy Weapon is sort of the signature non-demon weapon of a character. So, Abaddon is well known for not just his sword, yep. Nien or whatever the hell it's called. It, he's also well-renowned for the lightning core that used to belong to Horus that, you know, he stole. That's it, you know. Uh, Angrod had Gorchild and Gorefather, and Gorchild subsequently went to Khan the Betrayer. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. these are... They're, well- they're weapons that are almost as well-known as the person that carries them. That's it. So, legacy weapons themselves carry a few basic traits. Yeah. First off, they add half the infamy bonus of the wielder to damage and penetration. Yes. Uh, if they had the primitive quality previously, they lose it. Uh, there's only a 10% chance of being destroyed by a power field. And I'll also point out, there was, there's actually a sidebar in Tome of Blood about repairing damaged weapons, because a legacy weapon is a big deal, and even a 1 in 10 chance of being destroyed by a power field is still, a, a, you know, it's still pretty bad. Yeah. But, you know, think Lord of the Rings, yeah, you can actually take this item and, and repair it. You know, saying it's destroyed, you know, could just mean it's out for the current combat until a few tech use tests later it's all back together again. And there's also the consideration that uh, the weapon itself is automatically treated as being one step higher in craftsmanship than it is uh, than, it, than it was previously, basically. Yeah. So. There's basically three ways to get a legacy weapon. The first is you can acquire it at character creation as one of your base acquisitions. Yes. Now, uh, it's automatically considered one step less available than the weapon it's based on. Okay. I think we should go more into depth about how you can do this. You, if it's just a chainsaw, you can just do it for free. Yeah. It doesn't cost you one of your, your choices of gear items. It's just something that you have. If it has particular traits that are considered rare, like power or blast... Yeah, so it's accurate, blast, concussive, felling, force, maximal, melter, power field, razor sharp, spray, storm, or warp weapon. 
it counts as one of your gear selections. Okay. So if you started with it already, so say you're a Chaos Sorcerer and you start with a Force Sword, for one select item selection, you can make that Force Sword your legacy weapon. Yeah, it's one, one item selection per trait that it has. Yes. Yeah. If, you, if you don't have the weapon already, you can also acquire it as a thing, as a base weapon equal to its availability plus one step. Yep. Plus an additional step if it's if it's heavy or has any of those traits as well, basically. That's it. Yep. So, if your character has a chainsword, as we said, you can have it for free. It's a legacy weapon. That's it. Yep. No it's, it's got none of those traits, so, yeah. Not a problem. If your character wants a plasma pistol Which and, makes it le- and to make it a legacy weapon, they don't already have one. Yeah, so it's got maximal, for example. It's got maximal, yep. so it's going to cost one selection point there and you have to acquire it as well as an item at one step higher di- rarity. Yeah. So there's a chance it will cost you two of your selection items to get a legacy weapon plasma pistol at the start. Yes. Unless you somehow already started with one because of your career. That's it. Uh, now, if you do have a weapon that you've acquired at the start, you get to either roll or choose from the legacy weapon history table. Yes. Uh, and I guess, like, the, the history table you find to be quite... Quite balanced, do you? Mostly. Yeah. I, I think there are a couple which you might go, hmm. Uh, for example, there's, I think there's Legacy of Conquest, which yep. every time you complete a compact and you gain Infamy, you gain an additional point, which can lead that character to breaking away from so, others yeah. quite fast. But one extra point isn't a lot. No, it's and it. it does mean that you don't get one of the other abilities, which are generally more useful from a turn-to-turn situation. Yeah. Um, I think there's Legacy of Excess as well, which is a little bit powerful, which is every time you pass a ballistic skill or weapon skill check, whichever is used for that weapon, you get an extra degree of success. So if you've got lightning attack, that can be quite scary. Or a burst weapon. Or a burst weapon. And you pick another characteristic, or the same one, so you can choose your weapon skill again, and you get an additional five points to that characteristic every time you roll. But any time you fail that roll by four degrees, you get some corruption. Okay, so... So there, there, there is a slight there. drawback to it, but if you pick a stat which has already got quite a high chance already, so say you've got 70 weapon skill and you choose weapon skill, you increase it to 75, Yeah. but it's unlikely you're ever going to fail that by four degrees of success. I think that's one of the histories as well which benefits you if you have the uh, the hatred talent. Yes. Especially if you're a corn character with the purity of aggression mutation that gets hatred everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I even double checked. I thought maybe the the, the uh, mutation just says you, you're treated as having you hating everyone, but no, it says you gain the talent hatred everyone and of course enemy everyone. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that, yeah. that's quite powerful there. Um, now it does also specify that you have a limit of one legacy weapon, you know, a character creation because generally speaking, you have a limit of one legacy weapon. Per character, that's yeah. right, exactly right. We will talk about dual, we- dual wielding later on, but yeah, the whole point is that you know not many people are known for their arsenal. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they yeah, have a legacy weapon, it's because that weapon's what they use all the time, basically. Yeah. Okay, so the second way to get a legacy weapon is to elevate it, basically. So you have an item that you've always carried since the start of the campaign, and you figure that this, this weapon has become part of your character's style and story doesn't necessarily have to have been something you've always coached since being in a campaign oh that's just the example it gives basically. it's yeah. the example it gives but you could go out and you could hire a craftsman to craft the perfect sword for you 
and you could do a whole bunch of things to get the parts to make the sword and you could create that as part of the legacy of it yeah which would probably give you a bonus to elevating it yeah definitely that's it so uh, when it comes to actually elevating it so the, the way this is handled it's an infamy test the difficulty of the test is based upon the regular starting modifiers for craftsmanship and availability but not for quantity so you don't get the bonus for only having one uh, with an additional minus 10 if it has any of the traits we mentioned before basically uh, or if it's heavy uh, so I guess if you're looking at a weapon which is normally unique or near unique it's no reason you wouldn't because you don't get the availability bonus so the quantity bonus anyway that's right um, but you uh, just have to keep in mind that some weapons are going to be very very difficult to to elevate elevate so if you had a heavy plasma cannon which is heavy maximal yeah, blast <laughs> <laughs> you're looking at a, a, a pretty major penalty to your roll. That's it. And if you do fail the roll, you can reattempt it, but not until your infamy is, has increased. Yep. So you need to have had something, done something else before you have the opportunity. As you mentioned before, the GM can say that either because of the work you've done to build the weapon or the things you've done with the weapon, that you get some mechanical, like you know, a plus or minus, whatever, yep. to elevating it as well. Yeah, it's similar to when you're creating a demon weapon finding something with the um, resonance. Yes. So if you find a headsman's axe, which was used to kill thousands of people over its life, that's going to give you some benefits to binding a corn demon into it. Yes. Similar sort of thing. If it's a well-known axe on this world or across the Screaming Vortex, it will be easier to make it a legacy weapon. That's it. Now, I didn't see anywhere that indicated that elevating a legacy weapon gets a background, gets a, gets a history, because it, it has no history. It's just Well, been... every legacy weapon gets a history. It's just that it's the history you're forging with it. Okay, I, cause I, that's the thing. It's like, but like the way I read it, I, I, it didn't because it, it mentioned specifically under acquiring and under inheriting about how you get the history, but nowhere under elevating does it actually say you then pick a history with a weapon. So it's possible that it may not get that benefit if it's an elevated weapon. No, I think you would. Okay, hundred percent. I think you would because otherwise, why would you ever choose to elevate something instead of going and looking for something that's. Well, potentially that you didn't, you didn't, you wanted something that you just couldn't get a integration because it was too powerful. Eh. Yeah. Oh. Well, so, I mean, just, we'll have to maybe look at it a bit later on, maybe yeah. one of the breaks. But anyway, uh, okay. Now the third option is inheriting a legacy weapon. Yep. So this is, you know, you've found something, someone's given it to you. Whatever the case, the 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 knowledge and the the sort of the notoriety this weapon carries is based, for the most part, currently upon its previous owner. Yeah. But still, by having it now, you know. So, Khan, as I mentioned before, has one of Angron's axes. You know, it's still known as Angron's axe. But by now, you know, Khan is famous for carrying, you know, Gorchild, basically. So, yeah. Uh, so in this case, what happens is the GM decides upon the history of the weapon. So they pick the history. Uh, they then determine its pattern and ability. So we'll come to um, uh, to pattern in a bit. Uh, but then they also work out the uh, infamy and corruption of the former wielder. Yep. Now, the new wielder, uh, they use for the purposes of working out what the weapon has its current corruption. If their corruption happens to be higher, then what happens is every time they use it in combat, the weapon gain, gains one corruption point until it catches up with the new wielder's corruption. Yep. Uh, it also mentions that the new wielder can once per session make an infamy test using the infamy score of the former wielder. The drawback is if they fail the test by 300 or more degrees of failure, effectively people see them as not worthy of wielding that weapon as such, and they actually lose D5 infamy. Yeah. There's no mention of what happens if 
the new wielder has a higher infamy than the old wielder did. I guess you wouldn't bother. Yeah, let's see, why would you pick it? <laughs> you may as well invest your own weapon, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's how you actually get the weapon. Uh, now, there's ways you actually develop the weapon as well. So, as you hit the 20, 40, 60, and 80 corruption point barriers, the weapon itself gains a new legacy ability. Yeah. Okay. And starting with the first one, it actually gains what's known as a pattern. So I guess a pattern really shapes the way the abilities of this weapon are going to pan out. There are a five in the book. There's bellicose, vigilant, artful, merciless, and versatile. Yeah. And the patterns basically give you, along with a description of the way the weapon sort of is designed, also gives you a chart you roll on to work out which abilities it gets at, the 20, 40, 60, 80 mark, basically. Now, you can use your Infamy to adjust this roll. Yep, your, your Infamy bonus, you can adjust this dice roll. So yeah, if you roll a 3 and you've got an Infamy bonus of 3, you can change that from... 1 to 6, basically. 1 to 6. Yeah, and that's only a D10 roll. Yeah. So pretty much by the time you get to, like, 4 or 5, and you've got, like, say, 5 Infamy, then... You can choose whatever you, much, you get. You pretty much choose whatever you want as such, or you know, see how you roll anyway, but there, you've got more control over it. And, and I think a lot of the sort of abilities are... It's, it's not like everyone's been balanced against all the rest. Some are no, more powerful than no, others. no, not even the patterns. Some of the patterns are, are pretty naff. Yeah, there's a couple of patterns that would be very specific for a very specific type of character. Yeah, um, and are not particularly versatile. <laughs> which is funny because the versatile pattern is one of those patterns, which is <laughs> particularly versatile. It's just a name, Mike. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, now, if perchance you have acquired a legacy weapon uh, or elevated one and your corruption is already above one of those points, the 20, 40, 60, 80 points, then the weapon starts with one ability and a pattern, obviously, and it gains an additional one every time you hit a 10 corruption barrier until it catches up with where it should be. Yeah. Now, it's possible that if you had very high corruption when you first got it, that it will never catch up with you. You know, so say you had, let's just say, 70 corruption, and, you know, so therefore it should already have three traits. It starts, you get one. You hit 80, it should now have four, but it's got two. You hit nine, it should now have three, but it's got... Sorry, it should now have four, but it's got three. You hit 100, well, you're either a spawn or a demon anyway now, so... That's, that's yeah, but so. demons can still... Ca- demon prince can still carry a legacy. Ah, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. so I, mean, I guess it will catch up as well. Yeah. All right, so a few other considerations about legacy weapons... First off, it is possible to lose the benefit. If the wielder chooses to wield a different weapon of the same type, and when I say type, I mean melee or ranged, uh, then the next time he wields his legacy weapon, he has to make an infamy test as, uh, using the same penalties as though he were elevating the weapon. And if he fails, the weapon is now treated as a normal weapon with no benefits. And he has to re-elevate it. Re-elevate it, which he can't try until his infamy score goes up again. Yeah. So... Yeah, it could be a a major consideration. And it also points out in the book that the freedom of choice is not always a consideration in this. So let's just say I'm fighting a creature which my legacy weapon simply can't damage, but I have a weapon that can, and I switch to that weapon. Legacy weapon doesn't care. Well, yeah, the legacy legacy of it doesn't care as such. And I'll point out here, by the way, that the book does say that legacy weapons is not an in-game term. Like, you know, people in the game will refer to a demon weapon. But there's no scope for what a legacy weapon is. You know, the, the concept is there, as in a weapon that is tied to an individual. But 
they don't say, oh, he's got a legacy weapon, or you know, he, it, that's much more powerful because it's tied to his legacy. It's more of an, uh, a narrative concept than it is, or it's more of a more of a system concept than a narrative concept. That's it. But yeah, once again, you know, tying yourself to the legacy of a weapon has can have drawbacks, and one of those drawbacks is that even when you it's sensible not to use it. The fact that you don't means that you harm a legacy or the connection to the legacy, basically, and well, risk losing it. Well, that's it. I mean, think about this. Say you go and you watch a Dirty Harry movie. Yep. And you're watching the movie, and he pulls out a shotgun. And for the rest of the movie, he uses nothing but a shotgun. You never once see him use his pistol. Yep. And he's never referred to as Dirty Harry. Have you just watched a Dirty Harry movie? <laughs> Would you know? And, and that's kind of what it is. I mean, the legacy of this weapon is what, in some degree, defines this person. Khan runs around with Gorechild and he hacks people to pieces. People may not know what Khan looks like. He's just a blood-soaked berserker with a very big axe. Yeah, that's it. If a blood-soaked berserker comes onto your battlefield wielding a power fist, would you say it's Khan? Would you know? Would you guess? Mm, Yeah, it's difficult. And kind of what they're getting at, I think. Could you not wear a little badge that says, Hello, my name is Khan, the betrayer? I think he does. <laughs> Written in his, in his blood. <laughs> it's just, just a bloody handprint somewhere on his body. That's it. Okay, next consideration is, we mentioned before, two-weapon wielding. Yeah. Now, first off, it's actually possible to acquire a pair of weapons as a legacy set. Yeah. Yeah. So, effectively, they, they, they count as one legacy weapon, even though they are a, you know, a set of paired weapons as such. First off, they both have to be of the same type. So, once again, ranged or melee. Secondly, when you make the acquisition test, you make a single test based upon the well, once again the elevation test. Sorry, the hardest of the two weapons with an additional minus ten for the fact it's being becoming a set. It's a set. Yeah. Uh, now, whenever an ability is gained, it only applies to one of the two weapons, and and the pair has a single pattern basically. Now, you could just alternate, or you could stack them all into one. It's, it's your choice basically. Mm-hmm. The other option is that you may choose to pair a single legacy weapon with a non-legacy weapon. Uh, and, and this is allowed... G- generally, so this comes down to whether you started with two-weapon wielder... Or, or, you we, or whether you acquired later on, that's right. Because you have to have the two-weapon wielder talent, talent to be able to, be to, able do, to do this. Yeah. yeah. So, there are a few restrictions if you want to use a legacy and non-legacy weapon together. First off, the non-legacy weapon must be less common... Oh, sorry, sorry, more more common, I should say, than the, the legacy weapon. This one I find interesting that, you know, you may have chosen to... You know, I've got this primitive, you know, knife that has been a major part of my character as such, and I've, I've elevated a legacy weapon. That means I can't use a chainsword in my offhand it's or something. Pretty much, you know, the so. only, you've limited yourself that the only weapon you can use in your offhand is, is another, another knife <laughs> or a table chair leg. That's it, yeah. A table or chair leg, yeah. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Um... Now, the, the second weapon, the non-legacy weapon, you, you must never wield it on its own without wielding the legacy weapon as well. Yeah. Uh, the legacy weapon must always be held in your dominant hand if you are, have a dominant hand. Yeah. Uh, if for some reason you can only attack with a single weapon, it must be a legacy weapon. And it sort of states that the legacy weapon must be preferred at all times. So say your character is falling and has to, has to you know, hold onto a ledge, they'll have to drop their non-legacy weapon in order to catch the ledge, you know. Now, I think that most characters would want to do that anyway, yeah. you know, but not doing that, you run the risk of, you know, breaking the legacy of the weapon as such and having to go through the whole process of re-elevating Re- as such. a new weapon. That's or, it. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, okay, the other consideration I want to talk about is demon weapons, we mentioned before. So, first off, an existing demon weapon cannot become a legacy weapon. You know, the fact that it's a demon weapon is legacy enough, that's the thing. Demons are pretty jealous, it's not going to share its legacy that's it. with you. However, a legacy weapon can have a demon summoned into it, which effectively creates a legacy demon weapon. You're starting to stack bonuses on bonuses here. Yeah. You're adding your corruption bonus. Yeah, you're, so you're, so you're, sorry, the, 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 will, the willpower bonus of the demon plus half the infamy bonus of the wielder. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. To both damage and penetration. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, you bind... You're at legacy 100 and you bind a great demon with its willpower of 60 yeah, into so something. So you're adding 11 to the damage and penetration. Yeah, yeah of this already probably pretty good weapon to start with. <laughs> yes. So, first off, you get plus 10 on the summoning ritual to get the demon into the into legacy weapon because, you know, it, it, ha- it has a draw and that it's, you know, a powerful item already. It's well known. Yeah. Um, the benefits of both legacy and demon weapons apply, basically. Uh, although it does mention that you can't gain the benefits of wrought for purpose when it's legacy weapon because it's not wrought for purpose. It was wrought to be of this legacy as such. Yeah. Any time the weapon requires either an elevation or a mastery test... You actually have to roll and succeed at both. So that's a, that's a bit of a limitation. Um, and also, if at any point in time the demon is in control, the legacy weapon benefits do not apply because yeah. the legacy is tied it, to the character, not to the demon. I think there's also a sidebar there that where it specifically says you should also ask for elevation and mastery rolls more often. Yeah, that's it. Well, because it's, it's just that powerful. Yeah. You know, they mentioned straight away there, the plus 11 damage and penetration. Like, this is a really powerful option. And it's an option that you really you have to do everything in the right order. Yeah. You need to get the weapon first, make it a legacy weapon, get it powerful enough, it, then buy a demon into it. I know. mean, it's a weapon which is going to have a whole bunch of powers as well, because it's got all the powers from being a demon weapon, so it's got all its random abilities. Yep. Then it's got all its legacy of powers as well stacked on top of that. Yeah. With the additional damage and penetration. It's right. huge. So any, any final thoughts on legacy weapons, Mike, on this system in general? Um, I think the... GM should probably have some some go in it. They yep. should certainly be able to have a chat about it first and, and sort it out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that, as I said, it's one of those systems where it's not been actively balanced for every single option. Yeah. But I think that you know, you don't need to necessarily say, okay, this person wants a, a legacy weapon, so everyone in the group should get a legacy weapon. Yeah. You know, Black Crusade is not a game that is built around balance. The fact that you've got you know, Marines alongside human heretics, it means that everybody is good at their thing. And this makes potentially a combat wombat even more More powerful than their thing. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Okay. All subsequents report to the administrator for career assignment. Let's get into our career discussion now. And we are talking about the Chem Hunter of Messier, which is from the Tome of Blood as well. Yes. One of the sort of interesting choices I thought in the the corn book, because first off, it's not corn aligned, it's one of the unaligned options. Do you feel it fit well within the Tome of Blood in general? Um. This one's a little bit odd. I, I felt it was more closer to what I would have considered a slanesh. Yeah. Like, okay. you know, it's, it's all about the drug use and the thing, but I suppose the, the, the violent combat is certainly there. Um, I just feel that a character which is starts off as a chem hunter could go either way. Yeah, th- this is so reminiscent for me of the Mad Max film. Oh, definitely. Yeah, especially the new one, Mad Max Fury Road. Like, you know, if... It almost makes you want to you know, make, a, make a campaign like, okay, we're, you're all campaigners of Messier and, you know, <laughs> we're doing, you know, there's Bullet Town and there's all this sort of stuff. So, uh, I mean, they are basically 
a group from Messier, which is a, a blasted world of pretty much um, toxic chemical um, regions where there's only literally the, the two major cities on the poles. Yep. Uh, and but there's promethium to be to be found. You know, guzzoline, you might call it if you want to use a Mad Max term. Uh, and of course, you've got these um, the the drill barons who extract it, and the the chem hunters are individuals. The outriders. Yeah, the outriders, the individuals who are hired to to see to the safety of the operation. Now, these guys are reckless. You know, they 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 take risks. They take drugs, you know, effectively the... Yeah, the, because the, the planet is swarming with mutants. Yes. Like, millions of mutants. Hordes of mutants, yep. to the point that they are essentially zombie apocalypse mutants. That's it. And the environment is basically toxic anyway, so, yep. you know, they, they can adapt themselves to it, they can also create drugs from the various chemicals that exist in the environment to, to make them even more powerful as well, so... Yep. Yeah. Overall, they are survivalists, you know. Yes. In terms of their role... In the screaming vortex, you know, once they leave Messier, yeah, they are still, you know, reckless survivalists. They make good mercenaries, oh, you know, and, and good bodyguards as well, specifically. Yeah, um, and they're just insanely violent, you know, and hyped up on combat drugs. You know, probably addicted to combat drugs a lot of the time as well. Uh, and sadly for them, a little bit, you know, uh, resistant to combat drugs to an extent. Yes. Uh, so getting into their actual traits, they have two traits. First off, is habitual user. This one's quite nice because it means the benefit of drugs is actually improved. So, first off, when they take drugs that give them a skill bonus, it gives them an additional plus 10. If the drugs give them a characteristic bonus, it gives them an additional plus 1. And if there's a, a dice roll for the duration, they add an extra dice to the duration. Yeah. So despite the fact that sort of the text describes them as building up a resilience to it, it actually means that they are more susceptible to to the drug dose, basically. Yeah, it, yeah. it affects them better. They know how to use the That's drugs it. properly. As a drawback, they take a minus 10 on top of whatever the regular penalties are to their willpower rolls in order to resist addiction. Yes, yeah, so they're usually addicted to everything they're taking. That's it. Uh, their second trait is called taste of home. So this means that when they use the chemicals and methods that they basically brewed up, uh, effectively one dose gives them plus one natural strength, plus one natural toughness, and it lasts for 2d10 minutes. Yeah. It says they can take multiple doses. Multiple doses, so any more than two doses gives them the frenzy um, talent for, for the duration, but also requires a plus 20 toughness check to avoid taking 1d10 energy damage. Yeah. And that goes down by additional minus 10 for every additional dose. So it doesn't say it, but I, I sort of take it to mean that you would take more doses because you'd stack the unnatural strength and toughness, would you say, or...? I'd say that you, you're getting close to the end of the duration and you decide to take another dose. Okay, so you... So, you <laughs> so your first dose lasts loaded. 2d10 minutes, it only lasts 7 minutes, you're at 6 minutes, I'll take another dose. You then gain the frenzy talent, it lasts another 2d10 minutes. Yeah. You roll 11, you go on another 10 minutes, then you go, I'm going to take a third dose. Fourth dose, fifth dose, just to get yourself through... Whatever this extended so, so, so you wouldn't strength. you wouldn't stack the unnatural strength. I, of I wouldn't I'd stack the unnatural strength of the toughness. It'd get pretty potent pretty quickly, especially if they're also using slow and friends on and yeah. <laughs> a huge cocktail that's of like, drugs. It's all mainline. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I mean that there is there's some cybernetics which would be beautiful for this character. There's, there's the inbuilt to, uh, inbuilt drug injector. Yeah, this character is built for that thing. You would have at least one of them, probably several. Yeah. i, I got to say, like, looking at the picture in the book, 
they've got this little sort of tank on their uh, hip, which is sort of got like a, a logo on it. it. It looks like a Promethean tank from a flamer. So I don't care what the what, what it says. I'm sure that one of the ingredients in there. The chemical mix from Messier is Prometheum. Probably, yeah. Or well, <laughs> Prometheum byproduct. It does also say that uh, when non-chemicals of Messier take this particular drug, that they don't get these benefits. In fact, they take more energy damage. Yes. You know, that their bodies just aren't ready for the for the assault of it. So, which once again leads me to believe there's more Prometheum in there as well. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about building a chem hunter of Messier. They start with a lot of skills. They do start with a lot of skills. Yeah, and it's funny. Like normally with combat characters, I find. Yeah, a few skills, lots of talents. This time around, I actually went with a lot of skills. Talents-wise, okay, well, let's, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Let's stay with characters right now. Um, they are combat characters. Yeah. You know, they get bonuses to you know, weapon skill, ballistic skill, strength, toughness. They would have to be probably the most relevant stats. Yeah. If you want a non-combat stat, I'd say probably perception. I'd say agility. Yeah. Agility, you reckon? Okay, yeah, well, they're outriders. They should be able to drive something. Yeah, okay, well, they true. start with with pilot ground vehicle. Yeah, okay. But you, you're going to want them to make them pretty good at riding their their bikes or dune buggies or whatever the hell they've built. To, yeah, okay. To I mean, I went with perception because of like the survivalist sort of side as well. Well, well so. that's it. If they're riding horses or horse equivalent, yep. I don't know that there is a horse equivalent on Messier. You'd use perception because it's based off survival. Yeah. From the riding skills based in the Slanesh book, yeah. but for vehicles, agility. That's it. Uh, Skill-wise, I put quite a few here. Now, athletics, I think probably for that sort of personal get-around sort of style well, that you would need in, in a heart. The, the giant drill rigs are massive. Yeah, They're yeah. going to be climbing all over this and, thing. And, and lack proper OH&S. Yeah, sort of I'd say being yeah. able to climb the rigging <laughs> on this right. thing. Yeah, once again, watch Mad Max and watch how rapidly the the, 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 the boys and that jump between you know, staunchings on vehicles, that sort of stuff, you know, while the vehicles are at full tilt across a bumpy desert, basically. Well, that's it. That's absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, awareness, I think, fits into that sort of um, yeah. survival perception I think they style. start with awareness pretty high as they well. Do, I think yeah. they start with plus 10 or something ridiculous. Probably dodge is going to be helpful to them. Dodge, yeah, yeah definitely. Intimidate. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, Medicaid would cover some of the, the chemical use Yeah, the, the yeah. chem use applications of making sure they're not... Yeah. yeah, I think probably navigation, if they're used to that sort of outright style and travelling across yeah. a blasted landscape, and obviously as mentioned before, operate surface, you know, you can't have the Mad Max style car chases without cars. Yeah. Uh, probably scholastic law, climistry and trade climist, if they want to really have a, a clue for how the, the drugs they take work, especially if they're leaving Messier, yeah. and they want to have access to those drugs, they may need to brew them themselves. From Also, if they want to have access to other drugs that they have since become addicted to, yep. they may have to make them themselves. That's quite true, yeah. Uh, and finally, survival. Survival, definitely, yeah. 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 With the talents, like with most sort of heavy combat classes, you know, a lot of the combat talents are, you say, okay, pick the combat talents that suit you, you know, pick marksman, pick deadline shot if you're a, you know, a shooter, pick, you know, berserk charge, furious assault if you're a melee fighter as such, you know. So... Rather than going through all those regular ones, I've, I've just sort of picked out the talents that stand out specifically. So, I mean, Berserk Charge with one. I think they do get Berserk Charge as one of their character creation options. Yeah. Uh, Cold Hearted, same again. I think that, you know, the the drugs are going to kill any sort of, you know, <laughs> easily seducible, charmable yeah, aspect I, of them as such. I also get the feeling that there are hordes of zombies everywhere. They probably don't think of these mutants as people anymore. Yeah. Obviously, because they're not. They're, they're mindless. But that will carry over into how they interact with other people as well probably yep. yeah uh, Die Hard 
Yeah. I think that they, yeah, they, they, they'd probably be able to withstand quite a, and probably for the same matter, Hardy. Yeah, we're not yeah. in jaw as well. That's the stuff, yeah, they just, yeah, they just will shrug off most sort of things because they are so frenzied. And, and I, I put frenzy now. Now, normally you say, well, why do they need frenzy? Because they can get frenzy for free from their drug. But buying the frenzy talent allows them to use it all the time and it also unlocks the battle rage yeah. talent as well, which is better for keeping you alive too. That's true. Uh, Jaden, you know, once again, they're probably, they're, they suffer from a bit of nervous ennui, probably from all their drug use. Uh, Master Churchin, if you want to sort of push that Medicaid skill for yeah. the for the drug use. I, I'd also suggest Hotshot Pilot. Yeah. I think that this class, if your group needs someone who can pilot things and you don't have a Pirate of the Ragged Helix, which I think is the only other really pilot class in this setting. Yeah. These guys are your best bet. That's it. I think out of the, you know, those are the two best pilots. Yeah, that's it. These guys will fit it well. I think that their recklessness is captured by talents like Nerves of Steel and then Fearless. Yeah. You know, they, they are used to, you know, a, a deadly environment, you know, riding atop swaying machines, you know, clearing the knowledge that if they die, they'll be riding in Valhalla where everything is shiny. Yeah, I have to say, um, this class is one of the few which... No, like you asked me before, oh, does it fit corn? It does fit corn. Yeah. It also fits Slanesh. It also fits Nurgle. They are, they're on a line, so they can. Yeah, they, they can. You can go any way you want, really. Probably not so much Zinch, but they will fit whatever you want to make these guys into. Yeah. Will fit. It's funny, because you, you mentioned before they've got quality skills, and I think that's because they're not a class which is inherently like very, very powerful. No. Okay, so obviously when you look at the classes in the tone books they they have a leg up on starting characters from regular black crusade they have the experience boost basically with the you know marines from iconic chapters like thousand sons you know, death guard the reasoning is very clear yeah. with the herit- human heretics like magisters of casal are you know the creme de la creme of that particular society as such you know these guys are almost like street level thugs but they're so, the best street level thugs there it, are. Yeah, These so, are guys who are so good of being out there on on the drill rig so often they've earned enough money to get off of their scum hole planet. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I think obviously that their, their massive skill and talent set is how that's represented. Is yeah. they they there probably be lots of camp hunters and messier which are a lot less than the player character version. Oh, certainly a lot less, yes. <laughs> the younger ones as such. The, these I, I think you'd probably find these guys would be the equivalent of drill barons these yeah. are sort of at that stage where they are warlords in their own right but they've decided to leave the planet that's it yeah yeah uh, just to finish off talents as well I thought the last talent I put down I don't this went down very regularly is sound constitution yeah yeah and uh, the the thematics of sound constitution fits what they are I mean just one extra wound it's always good for everybody I mean, everyone can benefit from extra wounds but I think that the concept of someone who has become so resilient to such a deadly environment Especially if you look at their starting gear. Yeah. They're the only class in the entire game that starts with no armour. <laughs> Nothing. Not even flap. Yeah. So what? Well, an armoured warrior could be potentially an option for them yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 yeah definitely. So. Uh, tips for playing came out of Messia. I mean, you got to remember that, that these guys have become addicted to combat drugs specifically. And combat drugs are not built around making you a... Can, genial, nice, productive member of society. Yeah. Unless your society is one of incredible violence. Like Messier. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So Where the planets send out drill barons to mine all the Prometheum and the entire in- 
entertainment system he's built around gladiatorial pits. That's it, yeah. Uh, don't forget as well that they are, are so reckless. You know that there's no there's no fear in them as such. That, that they are willing to try anything to throw themselves at any challenge as such because they've always they've always survived in the past. Yeah, there's, there's nothing that you could throw at them today that's going to be worse than what they've already endured up until this point. Yeah, um, and I guess there is a. I know we've used some honor among thieves, yeah, but they are they come from a mercenary background. You know, they 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 can be employed and they will work for people as well. I, I suppose they'd be the sort of type. They'd be the sort of character who will happily work with someone who is clearly their superior, but would not work for someone who they see as much much weaker than them. Because I mean, even the the drill barons are not just you know, suave merchants who hire bodyguards to protect them. They are... These guys who have grown powerful enough to own their own rig. That's yeah. it, yeah. So they respect power and, you know, pity the weak, yeah. <laughs> as it were. Any other thoughts on the, the Chem Hunters, Mike? Uh, the, the only thing I would say is if someone chooses to have one of these characters, you have to go to Messier. Yeah. You have to expose them to that setting because... Messier, I think, of all the worlds they've written in their books, I think Messier is one of the best. Yeah, it's so well written. The the idea of it and just go watch some zombie movies, Land of the Dead, that sort of thing, and you'll get a good feeling of what it's like. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well let's let's put that into our plot hook, shall we? Yeah. From right next. Okay, so let's close out the Kim Hunter and move on to the next bit. Okay. Attention, loyal servants of the Imperium, stand by to receive orders. So on that, let's talk about using Messier as a plot hook rather than actually just, you know, do my regular read-off of a short story. Yeah. Let's imagine for a sec that your group has gotten to the point where you're very close to the Black Crusade and part of kidding out your forces is that you need a whole load of Prometheum. Yeah. And Messier is a very good place to get Prometheum from. Also, a very good place to get soldiers from. That's true. Yeah. Or to get hordes of mutants from that you just funnel into a ship and you keep in the holds, <laughs> throw them down some raw meat every so often, dump them on the planet, watch them go to work. That's it. So, once again, you got to remember that the, the 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 cream of Messier's elite are not sort of you know foppish nobles who deal in trade and stuff. They are. You hardened know. drill barons yeah, that, that, who order <laughs> other drill barons around yeah. that's it yeah they, they, they are they are, they are master blast they, they, that's it master that's it yeah. who, run, who runs Bartertown master blast runs Bartertown that's it yeah so yeah. Uh, and that's what you need you need to evoke that with taking your group to Messier because yeah. well that's it because this isn't like going to some of the other worlds where you deal with the nobles these are people who are powerful enough to actually challenge a warlord they yes. could if they felt like it, probably gather enough forces and situation to lead their own minor crusade, but they don't have access to ships and this sort of thing. Yeah. And that's it. But they've got infamy. But so they've got infamy. That's yeah. right. Oh, yeah. most they're, definitely. They're, they're, they they're, they're, they're known by the forces of chaos in general, you know. And as we talked about in the show previously, it's not in the best interests of two people with an infamy squad to go at each other. No. Because, you know, effectively, it's just tit for tat. I kill you, you kill me. I come back, you come back. We keep going until one of us runs out of infamy. But at the same time, the other guy's lost so much that, you know... Then it, someone else comes along and crushes them all. More to the point, their, their dreams of glory of leading a Black Crusade are, are done and dusted because they're going to waste so many resources doing it. That's right. And gain so much corruption, too. Yeah, so you're actually... As hard as this is going to be, especially for the, the corn-aligned amongst you... 
you're going to have to somehow negotiate with these crazy berserkers and hardened drill barons to get what you want without engaging in too much violence yeah, I mean there will be violence involved absolutely yeah, in fact potentially they, in order to deal with you first they may want to actually see you have to prove your prowess yeah, which yeah, to, to make it worth their while may well lead to either going into the, the, the wastes and bringing back one of the drills which has been lost or fighting in their, their pit, arena pits or doing any sorts any of these sorts of things yeah Yeah. so I mean Messier as you said in itself is a great location to be in a group to whether or not you have you know a person that wants to make one of these as such it's a good yeah. opportunity to absolutely and you're right I mean fuel is, is an obvious choice to go there for but there are other things you can get there there's people, there's mutants, there's chemicals, equipment, yeah. chemicals. Perhaps you need lots and lots of combat drugs for your for your troops that you're going to be taking on the Black Crusade. Yep. Perhaps you're trying to get a Slanesh person to side with you as well, and you need combat drugs for them, to bribe them. So you have to come here, bribe the corn person to get the combat drugs to bribe the Slanesh person. I mean, yeah, you're starting to move into the, the web of intrigue that can be built in a Black Crusade game. Yeah. And I, I think Messi is a good starting point or secondary point. All right, there you go. Let's move on, shall we? Yep. Revere the Omnisia, for it is the source of all power. So for our war gear, I handed Mike the Tome of Blood and said, look, you know, we're doing most of our stuff today from the Tome of Blood, so why don't you pick an interesting piece of war gear? And Mike thought he'd go with something relatively mundane, something, something pretty simple in the book. What, uh, what, what, what did you find, Mike? The Great Axe of Corn. Okay, it's a pedestrian, yes? Yeah, this, this is... Um, these are the axes that are wielded by greater demons of Kong. So it is probably the most powerful melee weapon in the entire game. I would say there's not a lot out there which is better than this. I'm very partial to the Man Reaper from Time of Decay. But yeah, 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 this... You'd have to bleep out what I'd say about this <laughs> versus the Man Reaper. Um, it's ridiculous. So it's a great axe of corn. Is a greater demon of corn's axe, which is a great another greater demon of corn bound into it. And I'm wondering if that great, great demon of corn also has a tiny little axe with another great demon of corn bound into it, and how far this goes. But essentially, it's a great demon of corn's axe possessed by another great demon of corn, which somehow a character's got hold of. Okay, so the way it's got like 88 willpower, you're saying it's actually 88.8888888. Return to yes. So, yeah, it's got willpower of 88 and a biting strength of 5. It has the three abilities um, fueled by slaughter, which means that every time you kill something with it, you get he- healed. Yep. Impossibly sharp, meaning if you do enough successes, its penetration's doubled. So that penetration... Oh, that, that, that's razor sharp, isn't it? Possibly, like, I think it's even more than that. Oh, no, 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 that's right. Impossibly sharp means that it automatically penetrates all armour, warp weapon, yeah. armour counts for nothing. No, right. That's right, sorry. No. So yes, it, its penetration is infinite. Yeah. Um, and skull taker, which means it's very good at cutting people's heads off. Obviously. That's it, you need, you need that, you know. It also grants whoever's carrying it the frenzy and lightning assault talents. Lightning attack. Lightning attack. Yep. Um, so yeah, you're going to be cutting lots of heads off with it. Yeah. And you know, one d10 plus two damage. Well, to start with, yeah. it's a two-handed weapon. Yeah. You have to have minimum strength bonus of ten okay. just to pick it up and use it. Yep. Yeah. And you have to have the mark of coal. And it 
does a mundane 3d10 damage yeah. uh, with devastating 2 so you know when you start wading into groups of troops you're going to be hacking them up even more yeah. proven 4 so the minimum you can roll is 12 plus that willpower bonus of 8 so you know minimum 20 damage up plus your minimum strength bonus of 10 so minimum 30 damage ignoring all armour um, but it is unbalanced Ah, so, so you, you can't, parry. can't parry with it. Yeah, this this yeah. makes me think of the opening scene of Lord of the Rings, where Sauron pretty much like wades into the troops, and every every blow like just sends people flying. You know? Yeah, you know, you hit someone with this axe, yeah. you're taking their head off, or you're reducing them to a fine paste. Yeah, and availability is ubiquitous. Uh, availability <laughs> is you can't roll for this. It's something <laughs> that you have to do a quest to find, yeah. or somehow create yourself okay nice. but considering you're going to be binding a willpower 88 demon into the damn thing making it yourself might be a bit tough yeah you know just a touch maybe if you bind an 88 willpower demon into it it's already got one of these you just take it off them well <laughs> <laughs> that, that does raise the question of who's binding these demons into into these axes for the original demons yeah that's it alright let's move on shall we yeah my lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. So today's review is going to be about Broken Chains. And keep in mind this is an adventure module, so there's going to be some spoilers. And Mike, you didn't actually play Broken Chains with us, did you? No, I didn't get to play it. No, so Broken Chains was, I believe, a free RPG day module that may have actually come out just before... Just before Black Bro- Black did at Gen Con that year, basically. So it was sort of the the first chance players got to... Because there was no um, beta process for Black Crusade. It just came out. Yeah. And even now, Broken Chains is a game that I recommend anybody who is starting a new Black Crusade game uh, consider running for their group. Uh, it, you know, it can be run standalone. It does have pre-generated characters. So that there's four in the main book. Um, so you've basically got a, um, a Forsaken, a Renegade, a Chosen, and a Heretic. Yep. Uh, and then you've got, I think you can get two more characters as downloadable characters from the website. Though I believe no, or maybe there's a psyker in one of the downloadable characters. I'm trying to recall because the, the psychic rules aren't really covered. Because, it, it, because as a free RPG day module, half the book is basically a, a primer for the system, yep. and half the book is the adventure. Yeah, uh, so you, yeah. Not having the psychic rules probably an advantage for. This module. Yeah, I think if there is the, the heretic, so if there is a side character that may just have the description of their psychic powers and how to use it on the character sheet. But anyway, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Uh, now, the sort of setting of Broken Chains is that the characters are all heretics who have been captured by the Inquisition. Yeah. And so, oh, Mike, you're, you're in prison and you've lost all your gear. Oh, <laughs> your fantastic fa- start to the module. <laughs> no, basically, the, the, the group has been basically loaded onto an inquisitorial ship you know like a call it a black ship stuffed into stasis pods where they're going to be transported back to you know terror or, or wherever to be interrogated and executed effectively you know they, they all have writs of execution already drawn up it's just what else can the inquisitors get from them at some point during the ship's passage though the, the geller field failed whatever it was it was drawn into the warp and everything on board went to hell and at some point later it's up to the GM how much later the stasis pods open and, and the characters are released. Okay. And so it's basically a case of um, 
we're on this ship which is adrift in the warp you know, chaos forces have taken over some parts of the ship imperial forces still hold other parts of the ship you know it's our job to basically escape you know yeah. either gain control of the ship or escape the ship or do whatever they want to do to basically get wherever they want to go the thing I like about this is that the starting point can be a jump off point for heretics which never met each other before you can have heretics which are fleeing imperial heretics you know they've come from imperial worlds or you can have ones that are ancient space marines or ones already familiar with the screen vortex whatever the case is they can come from mixed backgrounds and they've all just started off here now and it's in their clear best interest to work together yeah. because they all have a common goal which is escape from this ship uh, to wherever yeah, they can worry about that later on now the book itself has two ways of being run one is it simplifies it down to a few major encounters so there's like an initial encounter with just some feral humans to get a hang for the combat system um, then there's a I guess a part combat part social encounter to try and gain some allies followed by the major sort of conflict at the end and that you could run in a single session at a convention you know, in a few hours for friends at a gaming store showing how Black Crusade works. Or you can basically run the module as a free-form exploration of the ship where all the various sections of the ship are, you know, are described with various encounters in each and, um, you know, run it over a series of several sessions to get your characters across the concept of what Black Crusade is. Yeah. Uh, yeah so some of the concepts I think it conveys very well is that just because it's chaos doesn't mean it's on my side. You know, on multiple occasions, you know, there's one major encounter in the ship's bilges where the heretics have to basically fight a demon in order to get something from it. Yeah. You know, you're thinking, well, you know, don't we work with demons? No, you know, chaos is chaos. It, it doesn't... You know, <laughs> chaos does not play well with others. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Unless it has to. Exactly right, you know. Um, even those forces on the ship which have been corrupted by chaos still have their own ends and seek their own their own conclusions and such and in many ways because the ship has been touched by chaos parts of the ship can turn against the characters as well yeah. um, and so it's this whole exploration of finding allies you know getting geared up getting a way to reach the the warden's tower which is pretty much the you know, the, the bridge of the ship where you know the inquisitor in charge of the ship and, and, his, and his few loyal followers have managed to effectively barricade themselves against you know, the, the force of chaos which roam the ship beneath. And so, um, you know, if you want it to have been that a long time has passed, then maybe the Inquisitor was also you know, in status, and, and that's how they survived the original sort of Gellerfield fluctuation, and um, they've broken at a similar time to the heretics and managed to regain control of the ship. Yeah, you can do whatever you want to do it that way, but the, the final encounter with the Inquisitor and his agency is the, the climax of the actual adventure. Yeah. So it's very freeform. You know, you can either run it as, as you know, four major scenes in a short time or run it as a sandbox for as long as you want. Yeah. But the outcome is that um, you know, the ship, the, the players may or not be able to keep the ship depending on what scope you want in the game, but in, in the end it deposits them in the Screaming Vortex and their regular Black Crusade adventures begin with them already having become familiar with themselves through through this force having to work together basically so yeah. it, it creates a background for why this group of heretics has formed up into a into a new war band basically uh, overall I think it's really well written you know it, it's it's short but it's short and sweet you know it, it's it's very effective when I ran it we ran it in a night 
over about five hours. Yeah. Um, we I use the slightly shortened version. Normally, in the shortened version, you skip the encounter with the demon and the bilges. I chose to throw that encounter back in again, uh, and that sort of went to about a five-hour game. And uh, I think it was really good. You know, it was it was a really fun game to run. You've got a mixture of you know very weak uh, opponents in sort of the, the feral humans. You've got tougher opponents right up to the Inquisitor. Not every encounter has to be solved by combat. Um, you know, you can bring your own characters or or use the pregen, it won't matter. You know, there's no, the pregens aren't tied to the point. It's just a group of heretics wake up on prison ship trying to escape. You know, there can be any heretics as such. So yeah. it's a fantastic jump off point for a Black Crusade campaign. It brings all the characters together, gives them a reason to work together, and then cements that, that group relationship after the end, while depositing them where they need to be for the module or for the campaign, which is the Screaming Vortex. Or, you know, whether it be somewhere else, Eye of Terror, you know, Terror yeah. itself, whatever way you want to send them to, yeah. that could be where it, where it deposits them, basically. Okay. So, yeah, it, sure, I, I'm, I, if we're going to score it, I'm going to say probably a, a 9 out of 10. You know, only right. only for its only for its shortness does it lose that point, basically. And, and as I said, you can run it as long as you want to run it, as long, as long as you can create campaigns or stories around what you do inside a ship. So nine grasping pseudopods out of 10? Yep, sounds good. <laughs> uh, okay. All right, then let's move on. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. All right, Mike, open discussion topic now. The nature of corn. Mm-hmm. What can you tell me about what corn means to you? Why? <laughs> have, you have you heard the word of corn? What does corn <laughs> mean to me? Um, conflict, war, death. Well, sorry, not so much death. Conflict, struggle, yeah. war. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that you've got to look at war in its purest form you know it, it's not about necessarily conquest about martial victory you know it is the actual the 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 moment in war that that moment on the battlefield where it's simply just you your weapon and the other guy some guy you're killing that's it yeah that, that, that's i guess that, that that's the primal core nature of corn in, in, in my opinion anyway you know uh, and we always sort of talk about with the various cast gods when we start talking about defining their nature that okay here is the the bulk standard okay so Nurgle it's all about disease you know uh, Zinx it's all about magic or you know, so, you know uh, Slash it's all about sex and uh, you know but it's really more about this and the other um, Corn doesn't really need too many embellishments really does it you know no, I, I think corn is probably the most straightforward of all of them to get yeah it's the easiest to understand corn is killing the other guy yeah there that's is, it I, I guess there's a prowess component of, of, of some corn worshippers as well like to become you know the best combatant but that can also just easily lead over to Slanesh yeah. You know, when it comes to the perfection of an art. Yeah, kind of. I, I mean, really, it comes down to the fact that you are taking skulls and blood for corn. Yeah. If you're killing people who are unable to fight back, doesn't matter. Yeah. You're taking their skulls it's, it's, it's and about, blood. It's not about honour. It's you know, not about honour. Yeah. Very often, for those who start worshipping corn, it, it starts off, off about honour. Right, yeah. It starts off about being the best warrior. But, as the saying goes... Corn cares not for whence the blood flows, so long as it flows. Yeah. He doesn't care whose skulls they are, so long as there are skulls. Yeah, it, it would not be uncommon in a battlefield for 
Corn's forces to fall upon each other once the battle is done. We, you know, until until Corn's thirst is sated, which almost never. almost never is. You know, the the, the, the the death must keep flowing as such. You know, absolutely. Um, I, I've so many times I talk about the the great audio books that follow Khan the Betrayer. Yeah. You know, but um, I just I always think back to one scene where pretty much uh, in in the scope of the story, Khan is on a ship with other Chaos Space Marines that they're, it's, it's a Dark Angel ship and is it, is it Asriel? I think Asriel is the Dark Angels one of the, the key leaders now um, Khan is hunting him down through the ship yeah. and at one point like he's rushing down a corridor and there is a firefight between Chaos and Imperial forces and Khan's coming from behind the Imperial forces and he just cuts them down as he, as he runs past and there's sort of Chaos Space Marines cheer and you know, say, oh, Khan, you know, join us in the next battle and Khan cuts them down and just keeps going. Yeah. You know, he's just... <laughs> well, Khan is the classic example because the World Eaters Legion was broken up into loads of war bands instead of being a legion because of Khan. Yeah. You know, they, they're fighting against World um, Emperor's Children on a planet. Very frozen planet. Night comes. Anyone who's inside a building... You know, survives anyone who's outside dies yep. so everyone goes into buildings and Khan gets angry that the fighting has stopped so he walks around setting fire to every building yeah. <laughs> then there's no choice but to continue fighting what, what a dick <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah and that's the way Khan is if the fighting stops for any reason other than the fact that the enemy are all dead there's a problem yeah so if you're playing a character who worships Corn, yeah, how do you portray that worship in your character? What what is it you have to do to? Uh, so, for example, let's talk about our own Black Crusade game. Yeah. So we basically have one character who is focused on each of the Chaos Gods, mm-hmm. and in the case of Corn, it's Lee's character who is initially known as the Colonel. Yep. Who is the Colonel ex- of Corn? Yep, the Colonel of Corn. Yes, you, you coined that particular phrase, and I bet Lee wishes she'd chosen General or something else now. Some other rank. That's yes. right. Uh, but uh, so she was a former imperial colonel who uh, uh, became disenfranchised with the with the establishment, maybe or whatever reason has has fled the imperium and, and now seeks the the glory of war inside the screaming vortex. Um, and and you know, she she does still, I think. Well, she initially did sort of follow the honour, but that that is that's decayed over time. Yeah, you know, to the, the game we played, you know, literally as recently as last night, she's sort of like we, we came across two sides fighting, and she's just like, I'm going to pick a side, and I'm going to just join them, and I'm just going to kill everyone on the other side. You know, I'm not, it's not based upon who's the strongest or who's weakest; it's just the side that I pick. Yeah, you know, I just want to be killing people. I, I feel better when I'm killing people. You know, yeah. so um, um, I, I think that's probably the best way to do it. You should start off with why your character has joined, uh, has decided to go with Corn. You know, yes. martial aspect, whatever. Then, as your corruption goes up, you should become more and more unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> it should become less about whatever it originally was—the the honor or the glory or the proving you're better or whatever that—and it becomes less about that and more about killing people. Yeah, there's a school of thought that, uh, and I'm not by no means an expert, but apparently that the way that serial killers often work is they have a very specific target set. Yeah, and as their psychosis deepens that target set starts to grow you know such so initially you know they are they're angry at their mother so they choose to murder women you know of a similar age similar slash hair colour that's something yeah. as their mother and then 
that doesn't satiate them. So they then, okay, they open it up to women who don't look like their mother but are the same age. Then it's just all women. Then it's just whoever I can, you know... Find. Find in order to satiate my bloodlust as such, you know. So Yeah. And I think that the, the corruption of a worshipper of corn will follow a similar path. It's like, you know, right now my anger is towards this. You know, I, I, I chose corn so I could defeat this. Yeah. And that's just, this has just grown to the point you get purity of aggression and your hatred is now everyone yeah. <laughs> uh, originally I started following Korn because I wanted to be the greatest warrior on my home planet then I wanted to prove that not only was I the greatest warrior on my home planet but the ruling class of my home planet needs to fall so that my people can be you know released yes but you know what my people didn't help me so they have to be killed as well <laughs> and it just gets worse and worse and worse and it's that sort of situation Alright, so how do you play a follower of Corn then who doesn't just constantly run into combat all the time? Because that can be, and we talked about it before, in, in a game it's where. It's exceptionally disruptive. Yeah, in, in a game where some people might, might not want to fight, all it takes is one person that wants to, and everything becomes a fight. So how do you temper that in a game when you're playing a follower of Corn? It depends how far you've gone. Yeah. It, it depends how far you've fallen towards Corn. Yeah. Because um, you can still play the fighting this will be beneath me. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Corn doesn't care, but I do, where the skulls come from. Um, it can also be a case that you can play the, well, I'm not going to start any fights, but if a battle starts, I'm going to make sure that absolutely nobody walks away from this, yeah. other than me and my side. Or it could simply be the temperance of, by holding my tongue now, or by holding my, my sword now, greater battles will come. Yeah. yeah it's not about manipulating. It's not, it's not about, because Corn and, and Zeech are, are quite opposed in... So which is which is the which are the opposed ones in the rule system of Black Dragon? It's not okay. So it's Corn is opposed to Slanesh and Zinch. Yeah. So originally in, in the original game, each god had one diametric opposition. That's it, yeah. So it was Corn was opposed to Slanesh, Noble was opposed to Zinch. Yeah. But they've broadened that. Yeah. Because I mean, Corn hates the the magic caster. Yeah, and, and the magic, and also the sort of the scheme. Yeah. The whole the whole convoluted nature of things to bring about a conclusion. Essentially, Korn hates everyone. He even hates Nurgle. Yeah. Because Nurgle's all about the pain and the suffering instead of just killing them now, yeah. getting it over and done with. You know, Slash is too much about the, the you know, the, the, the foppish whims. And, and even when they are fighting, they, they're too much about the pain and suffering instead of killing them now and getting it over and done with. And they hate Zinch because Zinch is all about these schemes and doing things and maybe not even fighting at all when it should be about killing them now and getting it over and done with. Yeah. And that other follower of Korn, they don't kill them now in exactly the same way as me, so they're not as good as me, <laughs> therefore they should just kill them now and get it over and done with. I mean, even going back to the example of the audiobook I mentioned before where you know, Khan's hunting Azrael, uh, at the end of the story he basically discovers that he was brought here by a demon of Zinch and was basically, you know, the demon of Zinch was trying to bring those two together so they would fight. And he's so enraged by the fact that he is a pawn in someone else's game that he just turns on the demon. Yeah. That that becomes the focus of his aggression. Yeah. You know, not his original target, you know, so... Yeah, I think that's it, because if your character was the sort of cornate follower who just goes, oh, enemy, I'm just going to charge them now and hack at them until I die. Cornish follower, Mike. Yes. <laughs> yes, if they have a small farmer from, from near the Devon area. Oh, I, yeah, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yes, if they were a cool Nate follower who's just going to throw themselves and expend their lives cheaply, yeah. they wouldn't have got to the situation where they earned any infamy. Really. 
They would have died long ago. So you have to keep that in mind when you create your character. Um, eventually they will face a situation where they will willingly fight and die for corn. But they shouldn't be so stupid. They shouldn't be looking for that. That's something which will happen one day. But they want that to happen a long way from now. Yeah, that's it. All right, answering something else, Mike. Um, so first off, we know there are no Cornate sorcerers. Yep. That being said, we've mentioned in the past, there have been times that armies of corn have used captive sorcerers, but, yes. you know, under specific duress, like in a gibbet, yep. and po- poked with a, with a chain blade to make them use psychic powers. But they can use rituals. Yes. So how do rituals fit into that Cornate belief? Well, rituals for them are something quite different. Because they actually have, in the book, there's, there's a follower of Zin, a follower of corn you can take, which is a little captive sorcerer that you use for the ritual, yeah. and it acts as if you had a sorcerer for the ritual, but that, character, that NPC must die as part of the ritual. Yeah. So they use rituals because you can't get demons into the world without a ritual. Yeah. Or some sort of technology or, or this some sort of thing to yeah. do it. You can't just cut heads off until the demon appears. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So you have to do it in a very specific way. You have to cut specific heads off at specific times in specific ways. Yeah. Um, that's really all it comes down to. It's just a lot of blood sacrifices. Yeah, that's it. It's not, it's not about the scheme. I mean, it's it's it's, it's simple cause and effect. Yeah, is that this is the this is the outcome I need, and I just follow this path of destruction, and that leads to the actual. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you've got a coordinate follower who is using rituals, when you're describing the rituals, make sure they're, you know, they're very blunt and to the point. You know, they may just have half a dozen people kneeling over a trough, chop all their heads off, drain all their blood out. Whereas Zinch is all about doing it with special robes and incense and in certain positions and certain sigils and all sorts of stuff, Kornay would be very direct, very simplistic. Yeah. Alright, so Servants of Corn. Let's start off with the lesser demons. Blood letters. Blood letters. And flesh hands. Yes. Tell, yes. About, tell us about those. So blood letters are the foot soldiers. They're lithe... It depends on what which edition you're looking at. <laughs> they used to be lithe demons with large heads and horns and swords. Then they become very big, burly demons with large heads and horns and souls. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're just foot soldiers. They're there to cut people's heads off. Any, any chance of social interaction? No. No. <laughs> now, a blunt instrument for a very specific purpose. Is it a piece of corn? Uh, so, you've got your flesh hounds, yep. which are hunters. So, corn will send out flesh hounds to hunt down psychers, usually, yep. or someone who is displeasing. And it's like a hunt master sending out hounds after a fox they will hunt and hunt and hunt until they find it kill it and bring it back yeah, they very much remind me of the the Cthulhu concept of the hounds of Tindalos almost oh, yeah. very much yeah. Yeah. yeah very similar sort of thing then you've got um, juggernauts of corn which are the mounts which are giant weird constructs which are part demon part brass yep. which can be ridden into battle either by blood letters or champions who are able to get on them without being eaten and essentially they're Brass rhinoceroses. Yep. And then you've got great demons of corn. Bloodthirsters. Bloodthirsters, yes. Yeah, again, none of the demons are particularly good at plans and schemes. Maybe a demon prince, which is, you know, kept some of its sanity, but it's unlikely. Yeah. They're, 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 they're a blunt instrument, or an impossibly sharp one. Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, what's the, what was the miniature they brought out a while ago that was the big sort of chaos, uh, like corn thing with a tank body sort of thing? Oh, that's a. Not a Tower of Skulls, a. Oh, Lord of Battle. Okay, yeah. So the Lord of Battle is one of their demon engines, then you've got. They've got loads of demon engines. Corn was always lots of demon engines. Which is funny because when you look at the construction of demon engines, it, it fits very well into the artificer side of. Zeech worship, yeah, yeah. But, but they, I, I guess that war machines are a big part of the corn army, basically. You know, yeah. like, like they, they probably make the greatest use of things like tanks, you know, mechanized components and such. Like you know, ju- juggernauts are themselves, you know, almost part mechanical. mechanical yeah. It's like, like like a brass instrument as such, yeah, like a clockwork. Yeah, yeah, and, and that, that that I think stylistically fits in very well with corn as well. It's sort of, I think about sort of the. Um, the Faustian concept of hell sometimes, you know, or actually, what are some good examples? Like, you, you see these movies where hell is represented as this sort of unfeeling machine, you know. So, look at uh, Mutant Chronicles, the Mutant Chronicles film, where yeah. all, all these horrific things are generated just by a, a nefarious machine. Yeah. You know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't care or think or plan, it simply serves a purpose and generates horrific, you know, zombies as such in, in the context of that movie, as such. And I, and I see. That that style fits very well into corn as well. Yeah, uh, I know that in a in an earlier game, I ran during the Unbound series, we decided to have as, as a narrative part of the game a uh, an STC machine that was originally designed to build tanks like like churn out chimeras and uh, Lehman Russes be corrupted by corn, you know, and it's now churning out demonic uh, tanks and such, you know, and that that fits very well into the the corn army and the corn style as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yes. So anything else we can really say about worshippers of corn or corn himself? Um, corn cares not for where the blood flows as long as it flows. That's right, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's it. That's Skulls for the skull throne, yeah, blood skull for the blood god. Yeah. I mean, really, if you're playing a follower of corn, you, you've got a pretty clear-cut role about what you're doing. I mean, ranged combat's still certainly within the realm of possibility, but mostly you're going to be getting up close and hacking things into tiny little bits. Yeah. There's not much more more than that. Not really. Okay, well, let's move on to closing out the show, shall we? Okay. All astropaths in the choir chamber. Message incoming. Okay, so as a last thing in the show, we normally talk about uh, feedback or or other sort of comments that we received during the the last couple of weeks. Yep. And we've had a few things come through here, basically. So... Start off with, I'll start off with what we're going to defer. So we did get an email uh, during the last fortnight from, I believe it was Finban. Let's double check. Let me look through back through my notes. Uh, through, sorry, Fimpen. Fimpen. And I won't read the whole email, it's quite long, but basically Fimpen has asked, can we give some sort of overview of what life is like in the Imperium? Like, what, Give us a picture of a, of a typical day for a, a seven of the Imperium. Okay. So... Rather than covering this one here, let's hold this to our next episode, where we'll be talking about we'll, 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 we'll talk about what's like living in the Imperium from a few different facets. Yeah. You know, so we'll look at classic things like you know what's it like for a soldier in the Imperial Guard, what's it like for a, just an Imperial citizen on a hive world or on a forge world. Thing. We'll, we'll, we'll have a discussion about that. I think that'll be an interesting show topic to go through, basically. Okay. Uh, we also had a few other comments. So first off, um, after our last episode, which was our last. Deathwatch one, we talked about Iron Hands. Uh, Lars on Facebook commented that uh, we made one small mistake, 
and that is that uh, Iron Hands specifically always count as having the Mechanicus Implants trait for the purposes of basically the, uh, uh, abilities and talents yeah. and talent, uh, taking talents but not equipment necessarily yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and that's covered basically in their, their chapter traveling stuff basically but that's quite correct so that, that does clear up the question of taking things like the, the flesh is weak yeah. trait basically as well um, we also on, on uh, Facebook just today or uh, what was today yeah today uh, Cameron who's one of the players in our, our Black Crusade group is also running his own uh, sorry he's in our Dark Heresy group he's also running his own Black Crusade game had a question about the fact that a lot of the mutations in Black Crusade have descriptors of what they're like for the various you know followers of the followers of God that's right and he's asked a question so if my character is unaligned and acquires one of these mutations when they become aligned it does, does not muta- change. Yeah, the does mutation does shift. No, it doesn't. Does it, 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 once the mutation is established, unless you get something like the the Zeech one, which makes you suddenly change all your mutations. Yes. The mutation is what it is when you get it, and remains that way even if your alignment changes. Yeah. So if you're a follower of Nurgle and get fly-like wings, and then your alignment shifts to unaligned then onto Slanesh, they don't suddenly become bat wings. Yeah, they, they remain dragonfly wings. Dragonfly wings. Sorry. Dragonfly wings. I, I, th- I can't remember what the slash description. I think it's like um, shimmering pinions, which oh, okay, is no worries, yeah. which could be anything. Really. Okay, well, okay. Let's say you become a zinc follower. They don't become feathered wings. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so because it's, it's bat wings for for corn. Corn. Sorry. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But anyway, so you get the idea. Is that the, as you acquire the mutation, yeah. changing from a line Nurgle to a line zinch would be really <laughs> tough. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so, so that, that gives you an idea about, about how that works. Hopefully that answers Cameron's question anyway. Yeah. Um, I think I have one more, which was uh, Lachlan via uh, Google+, Plus. after our last episode talking about Tau, for example. He also wanted to know whether we're going to do something about uh, Necrons. And I, as I pointed out, that uh, so our Tau was from actually our Road Trade episode, but... Uh, Necrons have never appeared as a playable race in any of the books. I, I so don't see why we can't have a discussion no, about that. That's exactly what I said. Yeah, we could certainly do as part of a, a future segment, literally. We'll, and we'll get more into the, more in depth. Like we'll talk about the Catan and that sort of stuff as well. So. I think we should do it for Black Crusade, to be honest. Next Black Crusade episode. Because Necrons show up an awful lot in Black Crusade books. Yeah, that's true. Which is odd considering it's in the Screaming Vortex. But um, Zinch book has quite a lot of detail in them, and I believe. Um, the adventure module name I can't remember yeah, okay. um, look at my book collection <laughs> that's alright we'll, 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 we'll come to it later but yeah it's a good idea we'll certainly come and that. corruption that's it yeah, yeah. That's it. Uh, okay so thank you for those people that did contact us if you do want to contact you can do it through any ways you can go to our website which is www.grimdartpodcast our facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast our Google Plus page is Google like plus.google.com slash plus sign Grimdart Podcast. Uh, we tweet through at Grimdart Podcast. And our email address is show at grimdartpodcast.com. Don't forget, you can also leave a voicemail on our website via the link on the right-hand side of the page. And also, you can support the show by following our Drive Through RPG affiliate link on the main page. Buy your books there. Support both the writers and us. Yes. So, coming up is episode 60, which is an only war episode. Still in the early stages of writing this one, so I can tell you that we are going to be talking about the Tech Priest Engine series as a career, and we're going to be covering off that topic on life as an Imperial Citizen, uh, but I'm still working out what system we want to cover and what we're going to review. 
Okay. So we may end up reviewing it once again because I think last time we did only where we recovered the uh, Astro Militarum book. No, we did. That's right. No, we did um, Tempest. Uh, Astro did, Tempestus. Yeah, we did the uh, Militarum Tempestus. <laughs> Tempestus Militarum. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so whatever they've called the Imperial Guard now. Uh, no, no, the Stormtroopers. That's it. But we'll, we'll, we'll find something else in, within the scene that fits into Imperial Guard. Actually, someone's asked us whether we would do the um, Uplifting Primer. I talk about the Uplifting Primer as well. Yeah. And the and the, uh, uh, the other one, the Department of Unitorium book as well. Yeah. So maybe we can dig those out and, and do that. Sounds good. Hopefully you'll join us then, if you enjoy Only War or the, or the system in general. Hopefully you've enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Mike, for taking part. It's always a lot of fun to talk about Black Crusade and some of the really nasty chaos gods as yep. opposed to those really nice ones. Yeah, yeah. And we will catch you next time. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibios Music Alley. Music.mibio.com.